Welcome to an Inform Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and streaming to CHDTV. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. So glad to be with you today. And here with me is Javier Figueroa, um, virtually here with me. He's in the state of Idaho, I do believe. I'm not quite sure uh, where he is. Uh, I'm in Tennessee. And uh, but we've got friends and family all over this great United States of ours. Um, still a lot of great people in Washington State, which we're going to be doing some fair amount of talking about today. Absolutely. Um, you know, Javier, what uh, what happens in one state often spreads to others. And, you know, we know we know all the legislators talk, we know governors talk. Um, they, and, and they'll have like clicks, right? Absolutely. So we've got, we've got Washington, Oregon, California, they form a little click of like-minded governors, unfortunately, for my perspective and yours. <laughs> um, and they'll, you know, we know this happens and we know that I know from my own experience on the ground of going into a legislator's office, who's like intrigued by a bill idea. But then they go, but gosh, I don't know. I don't, has anybody else ever done it? Has another state actually passed such a bill? And if you tell them yes, oh, they're just relieved and like, oh, and they'll, they'll pay more attention now. Okay. So, you know, if they got away with it, maybe we'll do it too. (laughs) What amazes me is I wonder why they, they, they have that uh, feeling of dread if, you know, it hasn't been done before. Uh, You know, I would think as a legislate legislator that, you know, wants to cement their name in the history books, that you would be excited that no one else has done it. Let's see if we can do it. Well, it's, it's whatever infects people when they get elected, as soon as they get elected and they get, they sit in that, that elected seat, suddenly everything becomes potentially harmful to their career and they lose a lot of their guts. <laughs> so That's what I don't understand. Uh, you know, for me, the idea of going into politics is to get out of it as quickly as possible. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the yeah. idea of sticking around because you want to make a career out of it is just uh, foreign. Alien. Yeah. Yeah. And it it doesn't serve. We have seen how it does not career politicians do not really serve the citizens. You know, um, we need that turnover. And yeah, we get some good ones in there that we don't want to let go of. But I feel like we we still need the turnover. And those good people need to just stay active. Exactly. Just because that elected seat doesn't mean you can't stay active. So, um the things we're going to cover today in this first hour, Javier, I'm going to, you and I are going to engage in some good discussion about, first of all, Inslee's um, directive, updated directive regarding state employee COVID shot mandates. And I saw today he, uh, Governor Inslee issued a monkeypox uh, directive. So we'll be looking at that. Um, and then we're going to be talking about monkeypox mm-hmm. because between last week and this week, <sighs> Holy cow, or shall I say, holy monkey. Um, the ridiculous stuff has been going on. And then I, I came across something not 
uh, maybe about an hour ago, I had to call Jack James Linesweiler and read it to him. And, you know, he's like, Pfft. I mean, <laughs> we can't believe yeah. the CDC is doing this, but yeah, the CDC is doing this. Um, oh, well, maybe another one more point to add to today's show is since CDC basically has dropped the requirements or lowered the requirements for, does COVID? That mean the, for COVID, does that mean that the emergency is over? It sure seems like it. So what the heck is Inslee doing? Right. Uh, and all these other states that still have Washington still under a state of emergency for COVID correct. as far as I know. Right. Yeah. California and Oregon are still under states of emergency. Well, you know, or CDC dropped a lot of things and backed off on a whole lot of things. Not everything, but right. a whole lot. And they still are. They're still saying that in half the country they'd still recommend masks. So they haven't let go of everything, but the um, NIH still has us under, um, isn't the COVID emergency still in place at the federal level, I believe, okay. right? So yeah. that the EU can continue and the PREP Act continues and all of that. So that's still in place, even if the CDC guidelines are way down. I kind of felt like they had to, back off because not only is the science so strong that everything that they were saying to do doesn't make sense, yeah. but they were, they were entering a two-faced territory Yes, because their response to monkeypox, you know, they locked down the entire country and wouldn't let people go to church or school or their jobs because of COVID. Right. But when they know that there's specific, isolated incidents and such, you know, where monkeypox is being spread. Yes. Um, they're not saying any of that should stop or lock down or, or not happen. Now, as, as a very strong freedom, love and gal here, um, I, I really don't like the government telling anybody they can't do anything, even if it's something that, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to be delicate here with my words. Um, but anyway, they were really at risk of being two-faced about how they went uh, everything. They couldn't be so severe with COVID and then just laissez-faire, as it were. With, with monkeypox. Um, with monkeypox. So, you know, I... <laughs> but yeah, so I don't think... I think... I don't think that the CDC guidelines are going to change that, but maybe it will change the... Um, strength of Inslee's argument to push through his Correct. direct right. Mm -hmm. um, so shall we? Let's go ahead and let's go ahead and start there. Let's let's look at this updated. Um, so when we went over this last week, we we told viewers and listeners that Governor Inslee in in the state of Washington had used his power, his it's called a directive, and I believe most governors, if not all, have this ability to write these statements um, that have a certain amount of legal weight. And in, and when it comes to being able to tell people um, employees of the state, there are some entities, agencies that are directly underneath Inslee that he's considered yes. their their boss. Right. Right. So he issued a directive to um, ex state executive and small cabinet agencies saying that henceforth the COVID-19 shots would be required permanently. This is outside of his emergency declaration of making everybody get it, but it would be a, a permanent requirement for employment. And 
he included all boosters. So whatever the CDC said, booster wise, you had to get that too, to stay employed. And then he also told the office of OFM, um, office of financial management, I believe to, to push this out um, in whatever means they have to make this happen and, um, and more, and we'll get to the end more. And then after our show, or it might've been within an hour of our show being on last Friday, yep. he issued this new directive because our last show was August 5th. And this came out, I'm not sure what time out, like at two 30 in the afternoon Pacific time. So just before the show. Um, and he had dropped the boosters from, from requirement. And it was claimed that he did so after speaking with like uh, union organizers and getting <laughs> feedback from state employees. Um, my feeling is that because they had already fired everybody who refused to get the shots, that a lot of people who were now employed said, if you make me get the booster, I'm quitting. Yep. That's my, what do you think? Well, and then the other is that it's also just looking at the polling numbers as well. When you have, you know, the majority of Americans that, you know, the vast majority of Americans have gotten one shot. Mm -hmm. And there's another big population that stopped at one shot and haven't gotten any other shots or boosters. That's the other thing. So the polling data is showing that they're not getting any more traction with the second shot or boosters in the vast majority of the population. The other is probably, you know, the people that have already gotten the shots, they're basically, they can't admit that this was a, a mistake. Mm -hmm. So they're basically going, what's, what's, what's our strongest position? Okay, great. Mm -hmm. People that already have two shots, we'll leave it at that. And we're yeah. going to go with that. So it's just fundamentally, it's about politi saving political face mm -hmm. and basically continuing on as if there is a threat. And again, the, right. that's it. That seems to be the way. And so he already has that, this directive just maintains what he already accomplished through his emergency coercion Correct. <laughs> because everybody already. else, like I said, has been fired. Um, mm. And, and I think a little bit of the pressure also, or maybe quite a bit came from, you know, there were a lot of action camp campaigns out there. Ours was included to send comments in. Yep. to the OFM, to Inslee, yep. to others. And, you know, that we were part, Informed Choice Washington was part of a team of three great law firms oh, yes. that said that this is, you can't do this. You you cannot, um, because the office of um, the OFM was attempting to use a rulemaking authority, claiming they had, you know, statutory support. But, <laughs> but they don't, They they just don't have it. You just can't cite some broad RCW and claim it supports you mandating a medical intervention on employees. Exactly. So it just wasn't there. However, they have not given up that part of it. So that makes me think that they're, they're still going to try. So um, what happened was they, they pulled that rulemaking and they're writing a new one to match the new directive, which does not have um, boosters. So, and he even directs them, I believe it says in here, it says classified and management services. This is the represented and non-represented. So union and non-union employees. The Office of Financial Management, State Human Resources Division shall take steps to, so he's given him an order, continue the requirement for non-represented employees to be fully vaccinated, 
and engage with labor organizations regarding the proposal to require represented union employees to continue the requirement to be fully vaccinated. And then it gives a, a, a nod to medical and religious exemptions. However, um, we know we saw what they've been doing for the past couple of years. Well, just kind of. I think that the the recent uh, lawsuits that were won by uh, successful uh, claims of people mm -hmm. basically said philosophical and religious exemptions, and now the fact that the Wazoo football coach, yes, suing, is suing, yes. and again, I wish mm -hmm. more more people would sue. And I know that many firefighters and police officers in the in the King and Pierce County are continuing with that litigation. I wish more would actually. Uh, push against this because it is 100% illegal. I mean, yeah. that, uh, even without, uh, even without uh, the, um, the philosophical and religious exemptions, it was 100% illegal to require. Yes. Yeah, you wrote beautiful open letters to the UW about this um, that are posted on our website, which they ignored, right? <laughs> um, Until they get sued, then they'll start rethinking a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. So then we get to some um, some interesting language down here. Mm -hmm. He Inslee says further, I direct OFM to provide guidances to state agencies on implementing this direct this directive. So once they basically figure out how to do this, yeah. they want them to guide all the other agencies. So they're just really circumventing the, the legislature, pushing through that anybody they can get their claws on to get this COVID-19. And it doesn't make any sense of what we know about this product. Holy cow. Um, but here's the thing. They changed the boosters. He says, additionally, to promote ongoing protection among our state workforce against severe illness and hospitalization from COVID-19, I direct OFM to pursue options to incentivize all state executive and small cabinet agency employees to remain fully vaccinated with the most up-to-date vaccination, including any additional doses or boosters as recommended by the CDC. So... Um, and then he calls upon higher education institutions, our independent agencies, our boards, councils, and commissions, and other separately elected officials to consider similar requirements within their agencies and jurisdictions. Um, Unbelievable. And no, so, mention, no mention of, you know, taking uh, prophylactic um, uh, interventions. It's all what the CDC says, and it's all vaccine focused, which is absolutely egregious. And I've never seen a government agency telling their employees that there's only one way. For them yeah, to right. Be and we saw what we feel to be, if not illegal, unethical, immoral coercion mm -hmm. um, through the form of lotteries and in incentives and, yes. you know, coffee, giving pizza to children to try to get them to get the shot when their mother wasn't around. You know, there's just been some her just absurd things are doing. Yeah. Oh, a $50 gift card. If you'll go ahead and get this. I mean, can you imagine selling your body for $50 gift card? It's really absurd what they have tried. But Legally, I would like to know, it seems like you should not be able to use public funds <clears throat> to bribes to individuals to risk their lives through a medical intervention. Correct. 
Right. I mean, th this is not it's not a conspiracy. It's not fake news to say that these shots cause myocarditis in some no, people. It's it's already <laughs> been shown and proven and not only for for J&J, uh, &J, but now for Moderna and Pfizer. There is right. ample evidence for it. Ample evidence. There was a, a study out of was it Thailand recently with the teenagers? And it was 29 percent, I believe, of the teens who were uh I'm not going to say vaccinated, immunized or jabbed, injected. <laughs> injected, ended up with some sort of cardiac issue. Was it was it particular myocarditis or was it? It was my, mostly it was mostly pericarditis with some myocarditis. The other can thing you, is that. Can you explain the difference? So pericarditis is the uh, the the sac that's around the heart, and that can get inflamed, which actually causes constricts the heart and prevents it from beating properly. And myocarditis is actually affecting the, the heart tissue. It's mm -hmm. causing inflammation of the heart tissue itself. One of the other things that needs to be stated is that the, that the Save Us Now network, SUN, had compiled a list of almost a thousand studies that were published in peer-reviewed journals that looked at all the severe and adverse events associated with these injections. Over 970 peer-reviewed articles clearly showed all these side effects. Nearly a third were about independent uh, investigations onto pericarditis and myocarditis. And this, wow. was two years, this was almost a year ago. 900, mm -hmm. it's probably close to 2000 studies now. And mm -hmm. again, the fact that, you know, you can't, you can't possibly read that in that short amount of time. This was a group of people that were dedicated to looking at it. But again, there is zero doubt. There is no way to hide this anymore. It is no. all spin and marketing at this point. And right. the fact that have legal protection under the EUA. And so, much, so many other harms, this one in particular, they acknowledge the, the, you know, they meaning NIH, CDC, FDA, they all acknowledge it. And it's just a mat for myocarditis, pericarditis. It's just a matter of volume. Right. They deny the volume that it's happening, but these independent studies and it's all these studies are happening in all these other countries yep. where mm -hmm. they're willing to do the studies, but they don't seem to be willing to do it here. When we move on, shift a little bit over to monkeypox, um, that shot causes myocarditis too. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. 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 It's, it's very concerning. Um, was there something? Oh, so so they're moving toward incentivization, which is a whole other legal conundrum. Can they use public funds, you know, to pay people to get a medical intervention? And then what? What if you you paid them whatever? I mean, and then what about the people who relit for religious or medical reasons or because they're sane individuals yeah, exactly. <laughs> say no? So that's discrimination. Correct. So the person beside you who who happens to be maybe a super detoxer and can basically drink bleach and not die is on his eighth booster and keeps reaping in all these, you know, bonuses. Yeah. Right. And, and the person next to them, you know, is unable to do it for whatever reason or unwilling. They don't get that's that is absolute discrimination on so many levels. You can't. Correct. Right. 
and again, it's, you know, you, you provide it and you say, get it or don't get it. It's not about providing uh, these incentives that give you either an advantage or, an, or give you a disadvantage. Yeah. Again, ADA yeah. is very clear on that. Yeah, very, everything is clear. In our second hour, we're going to bring on Dr. Michael uh, Gaeta, who gave a fabulous guest lecture on informed consent in the class that I'm uh, teaching with Dr. James Lyons-Weiler at IPAC-EDU, right? Oh, it's been so fantastic. I mean, I, I say teach, but I, I am learning along with the students because we look at the materials in advance and examine them and ponder on them and then discuss them in class. Right. And it, it's really, it's just an honor to to do this with Jack and, and with the students. There's a bright, wonderful um, people from all walks of life in this class that are learning great stuff. So exactly. um, yeah, so I guess we're gonna go ahead. So we we still need to deal with this. If you're in Washington state, um, please stay tuned to Informed Choice Washington and pay attention to what the governor is doing. And oh, that's that was the thing I wanted to do before we move to monkeypox. Um, I wanted to, I've got to grab this really quick. I forgot to pull it up. Let's see if you can find it. Um, Meeting and information materials? For, uh, for which? For the Board of Health? Yes. Do you have that? I have that. Oh, how about you share screen? Okay. <laughs> and pull that up. Um, because there was... It was item number six, I think. They they talked about monkeypox in there, and I I forgot I was going to review. I missed the beginning of the meeting yesterday, and I was going to review. Yeah, go to the strategic plan status report, the the third one. Oh, the third one. Gotcha. No, item number six where you were, but the third right there. Yes, let's show viewers that. And in particular, so this is a list. Of the see the Washington State Board of Health is a ten member board um, founded by the legislature exactly. at the beginning of the this founding of the state. Um, the governor gets to choose who sits in these seats for various terms. So these these are all easily selected individuals um, on the board of health currently, and they have by law, certain tasks that they are authorized to oversee certain things to do, you know, clean water in the state, sanitation, a lot of things. Um, public health, they have, they have some authority and rulemaking within public health. Right. Um, and I might, I might try to find that in a bit because <clears throat> I did have at one point pulled up what they have authority over. And it is very concerning. Um, so why don't you go to the top here and read to me what is in red? Because that's ah. what they are have not yet started, but plan to start. The plan to start. So this is objective one is to contribute to public health's capacity to control disease and respond, respond to public health emergencies. That's the overall arching uh, objective. The first activity is to hold a brief Follow a briefing following emergency event exercises, tabletop exercises, to identify potential gaps in public health responses. So, yeah, um, like we talked about last time, have you ever experienced a tabletop exercise or an in the field exercise 
where the emergency they planned for came about. Yes. And they stepped up to the podium and said, good news. We did a tabletop exercise and we know just what to do to make sure everything goes right. Uh, no. And you they never mention it. Why no. didn't Fauci step up to the mic and say, hey, we just did this thing called Event 201. And we looked at the scenario and we've got great ideas. They have never yeah. once referred back to Event 201. Um, and we know there was an event style 201 for monkeypox. So far, nobody has stepped up to the mic and said, hey, we pretended this happened and here's what we learned and we've got this. Now, <laughs> it seems like the worst case scenario unfolds and they never mention their exercise again. Now, that doesn't mean to say that some public health exercises aren't good because I think that when they do certain drills for like if there's an earthquake, Yes. And everybody gets some preparedness of what are we going to do? Where are we going to gather? How are we going to communicate when all the phone lines and power's down? Those are fantastic. You know, bless our first responders and and everybody involved in making sure that in those sort of disasters it can happen. But when it comes to communicable infection. <laughs> Again, yeah. you've got a, as a pub, as a public health option, the fact that they actually imposed a Chinese style complete lockdown for the first time in, well, no, now for the second time in U.S. history in over a hundred years yeah. in the United States, the fact that, you know, the, the number of public health responses should be limited and focused and not, not statewide, not, not, uh, not countywide on this. Mm -hmm. The fact mm -hmm. that they're actually proud of this new additional power should send chills down everyone's spine because mm -hmm. public health responses are by their very nature focused and limited yeah. because infectious diseases like the mm -hmm. flu and things like that will spread no matter what you do. No matter what. Yeah. And infectious diseases like smallpox, monkeypox have a very well-defined route that you can control mm -hmm. common sense education and monitoring. And that's it. That's it. Right. Yeah. And voluntary, Self-isolation, right? Correct. All about voluntary. You know, I'm not a, a person who's like anti-isolation um, or even the dreaded word anti-quarantine. like um, You know, I believe that when you give individuals the right amount of information that's fact-based, fact yes. they will do what's best for themselves and, and the people around them. Because I believe in the goodness of human beings. I know Absolutely. we've seen the worst of human beings lately, but... <laughs> <laughs> Bad human beings get all the attention. That's the problem. Yes. Um, the good ones. It's, you know, there, there's been attempts to make good news newspapers and, and news programs, and they always fail because yes. they, if you can't grab headlines with something just horrific. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, so so that's a concern. They're going to be planning. So every, we need to keep an eye on what all these entities are doing. Find opportunities to have input. Um, find opportunities to get on committees to discuss so that the citizens that they serve have a voice in the planning of what's going on. We can no longer sit back and be complacent as our uh, um and these are unelected officials. These are Correct. yeah, hand appointed officials. And what okay. really and what really concerns me is that what has happened here 
with what what was was going on with what went on with COVID and what's going on now with monkeypox um, will limit the ability of public health committees that are actually trying to do good work. Mm-hmm. It's going to hamstring them because everyone's going to be questioning about everything. I was just reading this right now, and I saw monitor the impact of multi-drug resistant infections. And you know what my first thought was? What? Why are they putting that on there for something like monkeypox, which, you know, multi-drug infection resistance is not a thing. But then I realized, oh, this is general. This actually yeah. has to do with bacterial infections, yeah. like, you know, um, uh, streptococcus, things like that. So it's already in there that I'm already thinking, what are they trying to, are they trying to pull a fast one here? Well, you know, what's really interesting, what I have sort of discovered it's it's complicated. It's complicated, yeah. Because these individuals, I think the people at the top understand that there's ulterior motives in some of the things that they're doing. But Absolutely. a little bit more on the ground that, you know, I mean, we really do have a problem right. in the world with antibacterial resistance because exactly. of the overuse of antibiotics and, and various drugs and vaccines cause a lot of the resistance to right? Um, So it is a problem. And so you get people in public health who earnestly want to address that. Now, we disagree with how it's addressed. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And there are, like I said, people who have ulterior motives for how it's addressed to keep it being misaddressed. But that doesn't mean that these individuals who wrote up this plan don't have the best of intentions, because more and more people will be dying of bacterial infections that didn't used to be lethal because Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah so it it's complicated and i'm trying to keep my heart open and not judge everybody who disagrees with my perspective as evil exactly. because they're not you know when you go to these meetings in person it's really tragic that in Washington, you still can't go to these meetings in person because when you get to have conversations on a break or before and after and you see each other they would see me as a human being and I would see them as a human being. You know, you, you, you see that, that area, there's more respect. There's more, let's try to find common ground. Exactly. Not always. I did. I did have, I did uh, Dr. Duchin in Seattle, who's like in King County and he's, he, he goes to the ASIP meetings. He's, kind of a powerful guy in public health. And I, I tried to get a meeting with him several years ago and he said, Bernadette, I have no interest in meeting with you outside of these board of health meetings. Actually, it wasn't a board of health. It was a, a DOH uh, vaccine advisory committee meeting. <laughs> he did not want to find common ground with me, which I found very sad. Oh, it is. Because again, yeah. that's a public, that's a public health official not wanting to talk to a person that has concerns and, you know, pays, pays them their salary. Yeah, exactly. You know, but I keep trying because I'm a Pollyanna. That's what I am. That's what I do. So what, what, what's the next pink that we see there that they're going to do? They haven't started yet. Oh, uh, so this is, the, the, this is regarding monitoring uh, the impact of multi-drug resistant infections to understand the state's response capacity. And that's not started. So they still mm-hmm. have had not a formal briefing or, or monitored multi-drug resistant infections. Uh, so that means that, you know, uh, tracking and trying to uh, understand where and how you have clusters of potential drug resistant infections, where do they occur and why, uh, again, it's and not, not only in a, you know, tuberculosis is another big one too. That is something that needs to be addressed. That needs to be something to, to looked at. 
And I think that the, that is an, a, an appropriate and important role for the Department mm -hmm. of Health to actually engage in, because if they're, if they are yeah. not monitoring it actively, yeah. uh, that, you know, it needs to happen. And generally what happens, you know, that we have the Board of Health in Washington State, these 10 members, hand select of the governor, but they work very closely with and they share staff with yeah. the Department of Health, which is one of those executive agencies underneath. Right. Um, I think it's, it is one of the executive agencies, isn't it? It's one of the major agencies. Um, and so it's, it, it, there's a lot of crossover. And I've got to say that in, in, in many areas, except for where pharma is heavily involved, like with vaccines, like a hepatitis drug, and I, I'm not a fluoride in the water girl, um, I have set, because I usually would attend full meetings and now virtually tend to watch the whole thing if I can, in other areas, gosh, they do a great job. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I have seen presentations by Washington State Department of Health on other topics that were so well done, so thoughtful, brought up issues of informed consent and, um, you know, and uh, least harm. And and I, I at times would sit there thinking, why can't they look at vaccines like this? The same way. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, they do a really thorough job on a lot of things. So I, I don't think that um, they're all bad. Yeah. Right. So so the probably the Department of Health has got an awful lot already started within their realm. So they're taking it to the next level by bringing it to the Board of Health for their rulemaking. What was in yellow underneath at the top? Because those are important, uh -huh. too. Participate in active communications such as webinars and social media to promote awareness of FPHS to engage local communities. Um, now, I'm not sure what the acronym FPHS stands for. Yeah, that's up um, foundational public health, I think. FPH is foundational public health. It's the new language they, they recently revamped all the RCWs having to do with public health and went to this foundational public health model. Um, it gave, gave them way more reach, way more control at, at community level. It got rid of a lot of language that was controversial and instead put it into vague language. <laughs> oh, well, that's not gonna help. Right, so that, you know, some of the worst parts of RCW that I used to, uh, wanted to get rid of that actually wrote some bills to remove like the department of health was required to increase vaccination rates. They were required by law to increase vaccination rates. Didn't say if it benefited society, no, just increase them. So that language is gone, but in its place is language. It's even more tedious. Um, go back up to the very top though. So you have at the top, you've got those two pinkish and then the yellow. This one ah, I think is important. My apologies. Develop a protocol for emergency rulemaking to prevent and control the spread of infectious disease during emerging outbreaks and epidemics. Now that's that, one. That is interesting and really scary to me and because yeah. The Board of Health, when you go read the RCW, I believe they do have statutory authority to, you know, the underpinnings to use their rulemaking power to set up protocols. So right now, what do we have? We've got Inslee, who is using emergency powers 
to mandate all this nonsense on the public. The Board of Health could put all that in law through the whack under their emergency powers. That's insanity. So we have to watch the Board of Health very, very closely on that one. Now, here's the interesting part. They say underway, the board will incorporate lessons learned, excuse me, <coughs> from COVID-19 and on-site sewage emergency rulemaking into future protocols. So lessons learned. Emergency. Lessons learned. So I, what we can do is go find their emergency rulemaking on for sewage. Yeah. Because to see structurally what they did. Yep. So we can kind of get an idea of, of the model of what they're looking for. Um, but they could potentially um, be able to say, okay, this is our emergency rulemaking. If we see this is happening, uh, we're going to have a, uh, be able to step in and, you know, like with the vaping, do you remember in Washington? And it yes. might've been across the whole U S people, yeah. a, a couple of people died from vaping. Yes, I and remember. so they had an emergency rulemaking, which they could do really fast. Most rulemaking could take a year. Emergency rulemaking, they could have a meeting and just have it start immediately. Right. So this would give them really fast power. So if some disease comes along, monkeypox turns into King Kong pox, and they decide, <laughs> you know, to lock everybody down. They they want to set up the protocols so that they can act fast. And what really worries me is the on-site sewage emergency rulemaking that usually indicates, or at least my understanding of it is that they can actually uh, test sewage to determine if there is a infectious disease that appears in a certain population. Yeah, they've been doing that a lot lately. And um, I know a few years ago they started doing that. And of course, they've been doing it a lot with COVID. And they're right. doing it a lot right now in several nations yes. looking for polio. Right. Yeah, but if we could segue here um, real quick. So I heard um, Dr. Wakefield interviewed and he was, they touched on the subject of the polio. And it's, you know, something that I realized was really fun for, to hear him explain it and sort of laugh at the fact that there's polio in the wastewater. Right. Right. He says polio is, um, it, it's out there. It's, it's, you know, it's in the environment. And the uh, the polio vaccine that we used to give the live one that caused a certain percentage of people to, you know, be uh, was very reactogenic and why they pulled it. Um, that could stop transmission once it kicked in, but it also shed. Right. And the person in New York who supposedly was paralyzed, he caught it. He, it was vaccine derived. Not not sewage derived, yeah. Not sewage derived, vaccine derived. Um, so they started looking at the sewage. Well, the vaccine that has been used, I don't remember when they started using it, but when they switched over from live, it's been decades now. It the the inactivated IPV, inactivated polio vaccine that's given now, doesn't prevent infection or transmission. It just um, minimizes symptoms. So you likely have no idea you were even exposed to it. Right. But in the US, we have flushable toilets and most people wash their hands after using it. So if you were exposed to polio, um, you know, yeah, it's going into the sewage. 
Of course. And it's probably circulating and and don't know it. And you know, if anybody is new to the whole history of polio, and if all you know are those images of children in incubators or those iron lungs, iron lungs which yeah. is a, a staged photo, by the way. If you go to the Smithsonian Institute, you can see that they put it up. There. They explain how it's a staged photo for um, for getting messaging out there that it's not a real photo. They never had that many iron lungs in one room in a real clinical setting before. Um, anyway, yes. So sewage to find um, prevalence of uh, stuff. Well, and the fact that my concern is that if they, if first, it's basically a community-based uh, sampling mm -hmm. that has low resolution and tells you very little about, okay, how effective it is, how widespread it is, you have to take a guess. But the fact that they have emergency rulemaking power and they can say, there's a pandemic going on based on our measures of sewage. Well, I'm, I'm not sure that's exactly what they're saying here. The board will incorporate lessons learned from COVID-19 and on-site sewage emergency rulemaking. Um, so it's a little it's a little vague. We can interpret a couple ways. Yeah, Having attended the meetings and heard staff explain stuff. Now, we can go watch the video and probably find out for sure about this because yeah. they talked about it. And the video is available at tvw.org. And I apologize. I did not watch it in advance. I meant to go back and watch the stuff that I had missed. Um, I'm really thinking that it, it's not that emergency rulemaking for the on-site sewage is not about infectious disease. It's just something that they wrote that allows them like if, if a pipe breaks and you suddenly, gotcha. right, that you could respond to it. So they've already got model language of how to respond to a, one emergency. And I believe they want to go look at that to see how some model language. I, I that That's my guess based on my experience. Um, that's, that's a very good point. And that, that is, you know, timely because, uh, I mean, recently there was a, a sewage line uh, rupture uh, on the Mexican side of the border that fell into the Rio Grande mm. that, you know, basically untreated sewage went into a, uh, into a major river. And I think, you know, that is absolutely a, an emergency. Yes. 100%. Yeah. An emergency. And again, the fact that they have they have these plans in place is encouraging and is absolutely the right thing for public health to be concerned with. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, what what else do they have there? I'm I'm looking for the video as we move forward. Oh, here it is. Okay. Yeah. So there's another one. Um, can you read that to us there, the, the other? Goal two, promote prevention to improve health and wellness. So the yellow part says engage in conversations with partners, for example, the Department of Health, LHJs, to identify ways to improve the public health system's response to disease outbreaks. It's and probably it says, local, he local health jurisdiction, sorry. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Conversations were initiated during emergency rulemaking for COVID-19 and notifiable conditions. Collection of disaggregate data is needed for enhanced response. Yeah. And again, in, in other issues over the years, I have seen them engage with partners, um, have 
meetings where they um, ask the community and and like if it's something to do with farmers, really pull in the farmers, how will this impact you? Right. And I've seen them make really good decisions. So, you know, so they make the best rule possible. But when it comes to public health, communicable disease, um, those of us who are who have grave concerns and are critical to especially the vaccination approach and ignoring treatment protocols completely, um, we're never invited to the table. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, that's that is, again, the, the idea that somehow you can you can make rules without uh, impacting the community or not getting their input is really a major problem because the community sometimes has better solutions than the public health officials that are not there living, yeah. uh, you know, day to day. Your, your cat is hungry, I think. Yeah, that cat's always hungry. <laughs> I am then, going, oh, hold on. We are, I apologize for that. I couldn't turn that. I'm going to turn off the sound. There we go. All right. Um, Go ahead and, and look at the next one. Um, and and as you do that and read that off, I'm looking for them to start on monkeypox so I can gotcha. play that. Part. Explore authorities related to and feasibility of rulemaking to increase the utilization of immunization registries. And that's not started. So increase the utilization of, of immunization registries. Yeah, rulemaking authority. <clears throat> so that would be <clears throat> like their ability. <clears throat> so they have to, by the way they phrase it there, explore authorities means they're, I believe they're looking to see if they actually have statutory authority uh. to write a whack. Do they have the RCW support to write the whack themselves right. to increase immunization registries? It sounds like they need to explore that to see if that's something they can do. If the Board of Health can apply pressure to doctor's offices um, and other you know, entities to pharmacies, to anybody get a vaccine, um, this is something we do need to watch closely as well. And I would say until we can completely get rid of public health being involved with immunizations at all, we right. need to push for opt-in rather than opt-out yeah. systems. Right. Um, otherwise, they stick you in there um, without you realizing it. So yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. That is a very good point. Yeah. Anything else that, uh, okay, we've got a little bit more in yellow that they have underway. Promote health equity. This is for goal number three. Mm. And then objective two is integrate health equity awareness into board activities. So this is all part of um, the uh, DEI initiatives that are being promulgated in, in Washington state across all the major agencies. Yeah. DEI stands for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah. And the yellow part is establish and integrate processes for applying an equity lens to board policy development. So equity lens, uh, depending on how the what the definition of equity is currently uh, in board policy development, uh, that's that's interesting. I, I'm not not entirely sure what that means. Uh, underway, 
Board staff are currently working to incorporate community engagement and equity best practices into rulemaking processes, as well as closely following and collaborating with the Environmental Justice Council's Integrated Work Group on Activities Related to the HEAL Act. So what is environmental justice? Do you have any idea? There, well, <clears throat> I, I don't, I can't explain it well. They're very much trying to, to tie like, um, um, climate change. Got it. And health and access to various things. There, there. I, I think that there's a certain amount of truth yep. in some of it. For instance, I can afford to to choose this organic product. It's right. going to cost me more. I can afford it. If you don't have enough money, you got to buy the cheaper stuff that's loaded in glyphosate. So right. there is, I it's it's it's. I think most when we look really really closely at the injustices happening, at least environmentally, it's usually based on income and has nothing to do with gender identity or any yeah, you know exactly. great need or whatever. It's just what you can afford, safe exactly. or unsafe products, exactly. safe or unsafe living environment. Um, it's really a poverty issue um, that I believe exists. There we go. Yeah. And then, but, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm done. Develop a plan to implement the national standards for culturally and linguistically appropriate services. Oh, dear. That's that's concerning. I am not in favor of the language change. I'm just going to say it right there. I, uh, you know, a woman is a woman and a man is a man. Now, I started thinking about I was taking a walk today. And one of the things I thought is like, okay, there's men and women. And then there are people who are born um, biologically both. Right. Hermaphrodite. Thank you. So we've got the biology and then you've got gender, which is different. Yeah. So I just don't understand why we have to say, as they do in some of the information I've got pulled up here somewhere, persons who are pregnant. Again, men cannot get pregnant. No. So, so why did we have to change, you know, women get pregnant. Now, if you're a woman who identifies as a man, the biology of your womanhood still exists. Right. If you're, if you identify as a man and you get pregnant and have a baby, it's, it's your female biology. It's your woman biology. So yep. this twisting of language is so confusing to me and over the top, absolutely ridiculous. I just, I, I just so opposed to this. So, you know, we need to really watch closely what they're doing. If they're going to be using their authority, what authority are they using there to, um, I guess this is just within their own. No, they're going to look into rulemaking. They're going to look into rulemaking, develop a plan to implement the national yeah. standards for culture and linguistic, uh, linguistically appropriate services. And again, the, the issue then becomes, okay, this is all part and parcel of the diversity, equity, and inclusion programs where uh, they're trying to set up a very artificial system of behavior and language processing that mm -hmm. is uh, absolutely alien uh, to the culture that we live in. 
Yeah. Right. Like for example, right. you know, birthing persons. Like no, only women give birth. Only so, only biological women give birth. So what they're doing that by by going to the rulemaking, this puts it into Washington State statute. Right. And so like you might potentially lose your job if you don't use the correct pronoun, right? I mean, is that what they're doing? Is going to put into law that we have to use these words or at least that certain entities do, right? Well, Whoever yes. they can control. That is very concerning. And, you know, wow, it's already five, five yeah. to the top of the hour. I don't know how that hour flew and we didn't even get to monkeypox yet, but... No. Um, we'll, we'll have to get to that in the next hour with Dr. Michael Gaeta. And I think it'll be good. We'll kind of do the, the ethics thing using COVID and monkeypox as the example, as we look at these, um, documents on medical ethics Absolutely. Um, that we're going to review. And then just before we, we get off this topic, it's, this is something that, uh, I don't remember if people are aware, but, um, one of the reasons that uh, uh, Professor Jordan Peterson became so famous was his opposition to enforced language. And this is, if this is a rulemaking process and they're enforcing the use of this language, there is no difference by, by, by what is happening in Canada that can be imposed at a government level in Washington. Oh, good heavens. And on that happy thought, <laughs> uh, we're going to take a break. So uh, everybody stay tuned. We've got Dr. Michael Gaeta coming up and more great conversation. You've been listening to an Informed Life radio on 1150 AM KKNW with Bernadette Javier and CHD TV. We'll be right back. See you on the second hour. If you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than The Flame Paper. The Flame Paper is written for the people, by the people, who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it health care, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, Inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. We 
the second hour of an informed life radio on 1150 a.m kknw and streaming to chd tv i'm your host bernadette pager and my co-host today is javier figueroa otherwise known as dr x Hello. so um boy that first hour went so fast i didn't did. i didn't realize we were going to have so much to talk about with that board of health but it is concerning what we um what we saw and learned about directions they are going and things that they have underway and how they are looking at using their rulemaking authority um, in order to put certain things in place. And so I tell you, if you're in Washington state, um, pay attention, pay attention, go to their website, find out when their meetings are, look at their rulemaking, look at what they put out there. We need active, engaged citizens paying attention, making their voices heard, um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of scary. Like what you were saying, um, how, if they're able to put some of these things in place, there's no difference between what Justin Trudeau is doing in Canada. Right. Um, yeah. Um, so, oh, we do have a guest this hour. He'll be here in a few minutes. And so when he pops in, we'll, we'll welcome him at that time. Um, Javier, I want to show you what I mentioned in the last hour um, was today the um, Governor Inslee issued a directive yes. for monkeypox. So here we go. Uh, directive 2218, August 12th, 2022. And first it talks about the outbreak of CD from the CDC. MPV is what they're calling monkey um, pox virus. Same family of viruses, smallpox virus. The first human case was recorded in 1970. Interesting that he does not tell you that um, it was caught from lab animals, but it was. (laughs) It says it's rarely fatal. The rash can be extremely painful and scarring. NPV can spread person to person with any kind of sustained close skin to skin contact, direct contact with rash or sores or by contact with fomites. So this is a concern when they bring, begin bringing this in because I've seen some articles on mainstream media trying to push that public spaces and touching surfaces could be right. um, an avenue of transmission. Um, never happened before, but that's what they're saying is low but possible. Um, it says there are existing vac- vaccines to help prevent infection and reduce the severity of illness related to MPV. The, there's a limited supply, <clears throat> no shortage of antiviral medication, which can be used to treat individuals with severe disease and individuals who are at higher risk for severe disease, including people who are immunocompromised, children under eight years of age, people with a history of eczema and people who are pregnant. Again, the people who are pregnant. Um, Uh, No known deaths due to this virus. This outbreak is an evolving, serious public health concern. And then it lists um, to further our response to address the evolving status of the virus in our state. I hereby direct the Department of Health to, and then it lists conduct 
comprehensive public health outreach and education within appropriate communities and communities disproportionately impacted by the virus, working with and through trusted partners. Emphasize building relationships and engaging in outreach efforts to reach those individuals most at risk. <clears throat> okay, I'm not gonna make a joke there. Prioritize equitable distribution of existing treatments, including the limited supply of approved vaccine, but also support provider education to ensure MPV vaccine is maximized to its fullest extent. Ay, ay, ay. Yeah, we talked a little bit about the dangers of that vaccine, no effectiveness trainings, right. 1.3 to 2.1%. Uh, cardiac adverse reaction rate in the small safety trials they right. did. Um, and then there's more um, that that I was reading. I found it on Robert Malone's post, but he's referring to stuff Dr. Meryl Nass dug up, which is right in the FDA data that I've downloaded to my computer, but I haven't had time to go through the hundred pages yet. Yep. But but in there, it said that it was like 7% of people with HIV had to drop out of the Genios trial because their adverse reaction was so strong to the first right. shot. And 8% um, of those remaining um, ended up having their HIV um, issues increased. Right. It's to be suppressing their immune system and, and making their HIV flare. Flare, yeah. Um, so, but you're not getting any of that in this directive here. Um, they're going to monitor case counts, convene a series of roundtables with key stakeholders and legislators to enhance communication and education, work with and support local health jurisdictions statewide as they manage, <laughs> maintain adequate testing capacity at Department of Health lab and address. And here's the one, you know, the golden one that we say for the end, exercise available statutory authority to take appropriate disease control measures. So again, just as we were looking in the first hour at how the Board of Health, first Inslee is, is directing agencies to use their whatever like um, rulemaking authority they have to try to push COVID vaccines, right. mandate them. And then we saw the Board of Health looking at their rulemaking to see what they could do for emergency powers right. to put it to the law. And now here we have Inslee already, what exer exercise available statutory authority? So what do you have within the law that you can already do to take appropriate disease control right. measure? He's really trying to... Um, push it out there. Yeah. Um, oh, and, and before we go on, we do have Michael, uh, Dr. Gaeta oh, in, okay. in the waiting room. Yay. Well, come on in, doctor. Hello. <laughs> and Dr. X, to be with you. Uh, Good to so see you again. Okay. Yeah. Your, your voice is breaking up a little bit. I'm not quite oh. sure. Maybe um, it will improve as we move. Let me see what I can do to help that along. Okay, I'll let you work with that a little bit. So as you um, work on your sound a bit, uh, Javier, and I, Javier and I were just looking at Governor Inslee's new directive just issued today regarding directing um, the state reaction to monkeypox. Um, and of course, the information coming out from the Department of Health and coming out from Inslee makes no mention um, of the risks associated with the product. So it looks like um, 
it looks like Dr. Gata is going to try to get set up in a little bit different manner here. So we'll, he'll, he'll be popping back in and then we're going to go through his stuff and, and look at monkeypox in relation, you know, while he's, um, while he's setting that up, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to play a little bit. I have got TBW pulled up. Oh, Let's great. go ahead and get this to get this to play. Start this update to the board. Can you hear that, Javier? Yes. Yeah. Just okay. pump it up a little bit. Oh, you're already maxed out. Never mind. Slide, yeah. So, um, oh, hold on. I'm okay. going to jump ahead to. Oh, much better. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, we're, we're watching a little bit of the Board of Health meeting from Great. two days ago. In Africa, Western Africa. And um, and is transmitted from animals to humans uh, by skin to skin contact, and then um, uh, from person to person, also by skin to skin contact. Uh, and uh, um, they still have uh, mask up Washington on all their stuff. It's so annoying. Um, um, see, see I'm gonna like, jump ahead a little um, bit, which include uh, uh, epidemiologists, medical epidemiologists, um, and other staff to. Uh, because we, we knew right away that this was going to be... And we're going to jump ahead a little bit more. I apologize. Cases, um, uh, we're, we're looking to see... Is a, is a, is a cornerstone. And um, uh, we have uh, issued health alerts to providers. Um, so I'll go ahead and read this to um, our radio listeners. So sort of the prongs of what they're working on here is community, communications and outreach, community collaborative. I don't know the difference there. Contact tracing, EPI, invest and um, help me out, Javier. Um, Epidemiological investigation. I knew that's what it was. I couldn't get the whole word out. <laughs> um, diagnostics and testing, health education and promotion, vaccines and antivirals, and health system coordination. So nothing on there about behavioral encouraging better behaviors to reduce the spread. Um, and nothing, of course, just like with COVID, just like with flu, just like with measles, nothing about nutraceuticals that you can use, natural treatments of any kind to increase your resistance or increase your ability um, to you know, be comfortable and recover from this um, non-fatal, self-limiting, very uncomfortable <laughs> illness. Um, so they don't do that. I just wanted to go and see, jump ahead. So we've got the numbers and it, it's always so funny to look at the numbers go up and it always matches the release of the vaccine here. It's a live vaccine that they say is non-replicating. And at this stage, I have no evidence that it's reverting and replicating, that it is replicating in some way, that it's spreading infection. I have no evidence of that and not, not saying that at all is happening. Um, yeah, we're gonna go ahead and stop this because I'm um, not seeing that they're gonna do anything of too much of interest there. Um, but what I have learned again from uh, Dr. Merrill Nass, through the information that is buried in all the FD, FDA licensing documentation, is that is known from animal studies that the Genios vaccine does not prevent infection, transmission, or symptoms. All of the animals that they tested it on um, got symptomatic disease, but it lessened the severity. 
so individuals getting this, the public health department, nobody getting this is being told it's not going to prevent you from spreading disease. So how many people are going out, getting the shot, waiting their two weeks, getting the next shot, whatever, if I think they're a couple of weeks apart, and then going on their merry way thinking that they can't spread disease anymore when they perfectly can, but it might suppress their symptoms. So maybe it takes them a little longer to realize that they've got it. But um, so informed consent. And that's Dr. Gaeta. We've got, now tell me again, the best way to pronounce your name. I pronounce it like three different ways. <laughs> well, the Italian pronunciation, which would be technically correct is Gaeta. Gaeta. Okay. Uh, the American pronunciation is simply Gaeta, like the word gate with mm -hmm. an A at the end. And uh, I'm fine with either. Okay, good, because I, I'll probably call you something all over the place. That's all right. Dr. Michael, okay. Hey, you. Hey, you. <laughs> um, so listeners, you know, that, that voice there is the wonderful Dr. Michael Gaeta. And he has michaelgaeta.com. Mm-hmm. Dot com and it's G A E T A. Yes. Um, fabulous. I've got your bio pulled up here, but I'm just going to just say very briefly that you are an educator, a clinician, a writer, and a publisher in the field of natural medicine. And it, it's acupuncture, it's herbology, homeopathy. Yeah, uh, broadly speaking, not homeopathy, but broadly okay. speaking, uh, Chinese and functional medicine. Chinese and functional medicine, right. And I've learned so much from you. The The other side of your education is you, to me, are an expert on the history of informed consent and medical ethics. And um, you recently presented to a class that I am sort of uh, co-teaching with, although mm -hmm. as I told the Javier in the last hour, I, I'm really a student along with everybody else. I just have the honor of being given the mic more and, and do my talking. But um, And you, you gave this fabulous presentation that I kind of wanted to go through and, um, and what we're going to do is sort of look at it in regards to what's happening with monkeypox in particular, yes. because what's unfolding with monkeypox is like, I mean, we thought COVID was warp speed, but that took a couple of years to unfold. Mm -hmm. What happened in a couple of years is happening in days or weeks mm -hmm. with monkeypox. Right. So it's, it's very concerning. Um, so where do I even, want to begin. So we're going to be, we're, let's look at your slides. I'm going to pull them up and we're going to consider public health's approach to monkeypox in mm -hmm. regards to some of these um, things. So I've got, let's see if this is going to work. There uh, we go. Oops. Nope. What I'm showing you though, this is very good. This is IPAC-EDU. Dot org. This is the class um, that, that Dr. Michael um, taught at and that it's ongoing. We're like five classes in. You can still join. And there's one of these options that I found that, that Dr. Jack um, posted, James Lyons-Weiler, is for $5, you can join the class video only. So you'll mm -hmm. get the video recordings of the class for a $5 donation to, I believe it's a donation um, registration fee here. And you'll be able to get the um, presentation um, video of what we're going to be talking about a little bit um, today. So let me stop sharing that. And then I'm going to go find 
you're you're probably faster than me. You are like an expert at this because you do so much teaching. I do. Um, but did you want the? Is it, I sent you the PDF. Did you want the actual PowerPoint or, or what? What's best I, for you? I think this will be okay, and okay. I'll just make it bigger. Can you see that? Okay. Yeah. There we go. We'll just go ahead and do this. I have earmarked. I mean, it's all brilliant. I hate to skip any of it, but no, it's fine. It's, it's a time constraints. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wanted to go to. Um, number nine. Yep. Nuremberg Code. No. And go ahead. That's great. I just wanted to double check that my audio is OK. Yes, it's very good. OK, great. So go ahead and talk to us about the Nuremberg Code and, and what it means. Yeah, thank you, Bernadette. I'm so glad, you know, to be here and for this show that you and Javier do, you know, every week. It's just so, so important. Um, and, you know, this subject is important to me because I've been teaching bioethics for the last uh, 26 years nationally to uh, natural health professionals and acupuncture, chiropractic, massage therapy, and so forth. Um, and I helped draft the model code of ethics for the acupuncture profession, which was then used nationally in various states. Um, and I've been speaking on the vaccine subject specifically uh, for 20, this is my 22nd year. So this is an area that's really important to me. And, uh, and a lot of what we talk about, you know, you have your informed life radio uh, that echoes this principle of informed consent, which goes back to 1947. And in the Nuremberg trials, the, the military tribunals, uh, these atrocities committed by Nazi doctors on, you know, unwilling subjects that were prisoners uh, just horrified the world and the medical community. And what came out of that was the Nuremberg Code, which was kind of the world's way of saying never again can this happen. You could say in, in short, the Nuremberg Code in two words would be never again, mm -hmm. uh, where there's involuntary, you know, uh, coercive without freedom of choice, uh, medical procedures or experiments done on people. So uh, there's several aspects to it. The first part of the code is, you know, the very famous line, the voluntary consent, consent of the human subject is essential. Now, this, you know, principle of personal bodily autonomy existed before then, but this really solidified it as a moral obligation uh, of the entire medical profession nationally and globally. And the World Medical Association and other global bodies adopted this as the consent ethic. So that, and the thinking was, well, if we can get all the researchers and physicians on board with this ethical principle, then this won't happen again. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was you know, kind of where it came from. And the idea is that even, and this is where, you know, we kind of land this in the vaccine subject a bit, even if the intervention is, could possibly benefit others, even if there is a collective or community benefit, it can never at any time, regardless of the intervention, regardless of the experiment, regardless of how great it might be for humanity, uh, it can never at any time be imposed on any human being. And this yes. goes right to the heart of vaccine mandates, of forced vaccination, of the mm -hmm. campaign against exemptions, is this claimed perceived 
proposed and disproven, mm-hmm. but claimed community benefit. Don't do it for yourself. And and you see the sound bites, the messaging from government officials, public health officials has been for decades, but especially in the COVID era, don't do it for yourself, do it for others. And so this is a particularly evil approach because it draws on people's innate desire yes. to help others, like our innate desire yes. to take care of our community and twists it against us in accepting experimental procedures. Exactly. You know, they, they, they uh, co-opted the best of humanity mm-hmm. and, and yep. directed them in ways that they never would have done if they had been given full information. Yes. So this this is not in your slide, but I wanted to segue because I've got, I'll be showing you next to, um, I'm sure that this looks familiar to you. This is the federal federal laws about the protection of human subjects. Yes. So I believe that you are um, familiar with yeah, this, this all These are all the beautiful branches that mm-hmm. grew out of the Nuremberg tree. Yes. That's where a lot of this started back in 1947. Yeah. Uh, and this is an example of that. Yeah. So are all these things in there, you know, um, I wish I could, t- I need to speak about them more so I could be eloquent right now. I kind of stumble and stutter. There's one in particular, uh, 45 CFR part 46. Um, is that the one that, pertains to a lot of things going on, um, yes. written procedures, um, IRB. I'm looking to see the protection. Where's the protection language? Um, it didn't exactly jump over there. I was hoping it would. Um, but within this, yeah. um, I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and say this. Within these um, federal regulations for human subjects, it, it says there can be no coercion, yes, um, no um, untoward or what, what's the, the language I'm searching for? Help me out if you remember what it is. Undue influence, yes. Um, it is special. There's special protections for pregnant women mm-hmm. and children, yeah. and and those who don't have capacity, mm. you know, to make sure that they're not abused. Yes. That's in our our code of federal regulations for human subjects. Yes. Okay. So now what I'm going to share with you, remember how Inslee and the board of health presentation from the department of health. Yes. That was, I think the secretary of health talking in that video we were watching or yeah. um, They said there's all these vaccines and antivirals, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to jump to, the antiviral let me go find oh i think i have to go here um let's see if it'll go back did it go back there you go are you seeing information for healthcare providers no patient okay. diary how to obtain yeah so the federal government and all the states and all the public health agencies they're only mentioning this one antiviral right? T-pox, Tecovirimat. Um, Javier and I went over a lot of information about this experimental. It's licensed for smallpox, but not for monkeypox. Mm-hmm. There's some health concerns. Um, I think Javier, didn't you and I, what was that you and I discovered in reading it that it said it could be used potentially to treat some vaccine injury? 
Uh, yes, I think that was one of the uh, one of the yeah one of the uses for it, which is <laughs> what the hell. So yeah, and so you know the monkeypox vaccine and smallpox vaccines are live viral vaccines. Yeah. Um, okay, I have I have a point here. So in in order to in order for this to be used. They got, they put it under something called um, Expanded Access Investigational New Drug. Mm -hmm. Are you both familiar with that? Javier, are you familiar with that designation? Okay. I'm not, no. No. So they've got it, and it needed an, uh, an IRD approval. Um. Down here somewhere. You have to have a patient diary. Individuals who get it have to sign a five-page informed thing of informed consent that says that CDC won't cover any injuries. You're basically out of pocket, or your insurance company has to pay for any injuries. You have to keep a diary. All of this stuff going on. Here's some clinical outcome uh, forms, patient intake forms, right? You're you're it, it, you're entering a clinical trial yep. from everything that you're seeing here. Right. And this is what blew me away earlier today. And I had to call James Linesweiler and read it to him. So I'm reading through this and I get to the end and you're not going to believe this, but it says anyway, institutional review board. So it has an IRB approval, just like an investigational drug, but it says here, since this TPOX, EA-IND protocol is solely for treatment use. CDC determined that its use does not constitute research involving human subjects as defined by 45 CFR 46.102. Therefore, the federal wide assurance requirements do not apply. Hmm. So do you understand both of you, the implication of that? (laughs) It's disturbing. It's disturbing. They all of that paperwork on that page and everything they have to tell the people taking this product is entering them into a clinical trial, a human clinical trial. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe they're not identifying as human. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, they're persons and person no. isn't a human. I don't know. But they're right. claiming because they're telling people they can get it that they don't have to follow the human rights, which, which is, they're very protective. They have to make sure that they follow you, they monitor you, that you can back out any time, that you get support. Um, they can't coerce you. They can't pay you to take it. All of that stuff. They say it doesn't apply. Yes. This is where, we're, this is, this is what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. And, and folks are lining up down the block to get it. And they have no idea. That's no. what that's what no. just fries me. They have no, no. idea what all no. of this means. They're they're yeah. Yeah. and you know, and the the absence of animal studies, you know, which is you know kind of a necessity yeah. before progressing to human trials. The thing they did with the experimental code injections, they kind of leapfrogged yeah. over the animal studies initially, and at the same time ignored the SARS-CoV-1 animal studies from 20 years ago, roughly. Yeah. Um, they carefully avoided all of that in order to get, you know, the injections literally in somebody's arm 
within yeah. uh, what was it, uh, 63 days after supposedly sequencing the supposed genome, they had an injection in somebody's arm. So, you know, the, the, uh, as a student of bioethics for, you know, uh, almost three decades, um, this, this is, you know, um, just red flags everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but as you said earlier, Bernadette, they're really following the COVID playbook in a very accelerated way. Oh yeah. Because Not they've got licensed products, to. right? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's mm-hmm. the, it's the boiled frog and, and people mm-hmm. are, are, have, are getting used to being told what to do and complying. Yeah. And so they're just shortcutting everything that they did in, with the COVID pandemic yeah. they're doing with this monkeypox. This is exactly what Dr. Zev Zelenko, you know, he said, this is what's going to happen with monkeypox a couple of weeks yeah. before he passed. He oh, said, this is dear. what's coming for us mm-hmm. uh, in the months ahead is there, this will be the next pandemic, scamdemic, you know, all of this. Yeah. And WHO declaring a global emergency with five deaths, five reported deaths, which is <laughs> roughly the same as what happened with the original COVID bioweapon, a few people died, suddenly it's a global emergency. Uh, So, you know, they're really, you know, they're just, they're just uh, building up or using this, you know, playbook to manipulate the population. And unfortunately, governors like yours there in Washington, who are just, you know, uh, executing the plan Mm -hmm. without actually uh, basing it on sound evidence. Exactly. And read this slide to me, to our audience here. Yeah, without voluntary informed, those are really two, those are three great words, voluntary and informed and consent, uh, medicine becomes violence. And this is what's been happening is is as an act of violence uh, with these experimental COVID injections, which are still experimental. The ones that are available, at least in the United States, are still the EUA experimental injections. Yeah. I'm going to repeat that because I think it's so important and I think it really just states it so succinctly. Without voluntary informed consent, medicine becomes violence. It's just... Now, did you say that or who said that? Oh, this was just a meme I just copied from someone. Oh, well, whoever... it's, It's... it's beautiful there. Uh, not yeah. beautiful. It's scary. But um, okay. Then I wanted to go over with you. It was number 13. Sure. So, okay. The de- Declaration of Geneva. Yep. Um, and then explain a little bit about this with. Yeah. Um, so this is, you know, the, the, the beautiful moral ethical tree of the Nuremberg Code. That was like the trunk of the tree started immediately sprouting branches. Uh, And so a year later, the Declaration of Geneva, currently called the Physician's Pledge, is a modern version of the traditional ancient Hippocratic Oath. So the World Medical Association adopted the Declaration of Geneva in 1948, a year after Nuremberg, Mm-hmm. And uh, it is used, unfortunately, by only half of all United States medical schools. And it consists of 13 commitments, ethical, moral commitments made by the doctor as they enter the medical profession. Mm-hmm. And it's been revised several times. Um, one of the revisions might have been the most recent one uh, in October of 2017, the 68th World Medical Association General Assembly. 
So of these 13 commitments, number three says, I will respect the autonomy and dignity of my patients. So again, this is the, this is the modern version of the Hippocratic Oath, the ancient Hippocratic Oath from ancient Greece. Uh, this is the modern interpretation of that or version of that. And, this is, and that's number three. Number five says, uh, nothing will intervene between my duty to care for the patient and the patient themselves. I will not allow anything about the person prevent me from helping them, is mm-hmm. what it says. Yeah. Uh, which is yeah. very important. And, and we see this has been chucked out the window in the mm-hmm. vast majority, you know, especially in pediatric practices. Yeah. But, yeah. in, you know, and this is an example of how far we've fallen uh, is, you know, the AMA entirely right. rejected. Uh, in 2001, they basically, you know, chucked the Hippocratic Oath out the window and in their own principle of medical ethics, which only applies to their members, which is only a third of U.S. physicians, uh, you can decide who you want to treat. And if you don't want to treat them, don't treat them. Yeah. Uh, exact opposite of the right. moral imperative of the Hippocratic yeah. Declaration of Geneva. Yeah. And then one of my... Um, I didn't get a chance to talk to you about this one when we looked yeah. in, in class, but it was so important. So number 12 of yes. the Declaration of Geneva says, I will not use my medical knowledge to violate human rights and civil liberties, even under threat. Yep. Holy cow. Holy cow. And you know, so we see how far you know ethics and bioethics and medical ethics has fallen into this deplorable state of coercion and tyranny Mm -hmm. uh, in direct opposition to the most important. Again, I've been teaching medical ethics for 26 years. This is the most important of all ethical medical principles is informed consent. Mm -hmm. And to chuck that out the window um, and replace it with coercion and pontificating and pressure and all of this is really uh, just, a, you know, a moral disaster. Right. So we have um, legend, not legislative. We've got um, boards and agencies over doctors now, licensing boards yes. and, and other entities that are threatening doctors. If you prescribe ivermectin, we're pulling your license. If you say anything critical of these shots, we're pulling your license. Mm -hmm. That's the threat. So, so, you know, everybody, I mean, we, this pledge is huge. I, I I feel like I want that, you know, like as on on the door of every doctor's office that stands for medical freedom. If they were to, post that on their door, people would go by and know, yes, I can safely see this doctor, (laughs) you know, and they will not violate my human rights or my civil liberties, even if their licensing board is after them. We need to create whole new licensing boards that support this, this instead of being threateners, it is. Yeah, indeed, Bernadette, it's well put. And we're seeing what you're describing here is an example of the rise of the administrative state. Mm -hmm. And the administrative state are unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats Mm -hmm. that have the most control over society and our lives than any other um, group, uh, at least in the country, in this country. 
Yeah. And this started back in 1941 with Woodrow Wilson, uh, who considered um, the average American is too stupid and selfish to govern themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and he called for the rise of the expert class uh, in his own words. He said, we need a class of experts to basically tell us what we can and can't do, that our elected officials, which is our constitutional republic, is we empower certain people to make decisions on our behalf, has now been overshadowed by the administrative state, most notoriously public health departments. In oh, yeah. States and counties and you know HHS at a federal level. These are unelected bureaucrats uh, who you know have been given authority um, by the state legislatures and governors mm-hmm. to have immense power over individuals. And so they just, you know, and so this is what we're seeing and what you're mm-hmm. describing in these threats to medical practice. Exactly. Yeah. And then we've got, as Javier and I were looking in the, the first hour, not only are the powers that be who want to sort of use public health as a means to the end of their global yes. changes and domination, For sure. they're, they're going after the laws, but it's the behind the scenes that yes. is, is even scarier because you're not seeing it happening. They're using what they consider to be their existing authority and powers to implement and put all of this, you know, backwards into statute um, and, and to make it happen that way. And that it, it's just, it's, it's this growing monster, but the good news yes. is a lot of more people are aware and waking up. Yeah. So, Let's move on. We we had some great discussion about this in particular. You've got the yes. definitions of informed and consent. Yes. Um, so let's let's talk about that. What yep. what informed consent really means? Yeah, and thank you, Bernadette, for expanding this definition in real time. You know, uh, during this presentation for uh, IPAC EDU, um, and there are three aspects to the informed. One is what good is it supposed to do? What harm can it produce? Number two, what are the risks and benefits of natural infection? This is specific to vaccines, as it says. And uh, what other options are there? Are there treatments available that could be preventative or serve as effective treatment? And of course, all of this is absent from, you know, we haven't really had informed consent for vaccines in several decades in the United States. So mm-hmm. people aren't informed. And and, the, and then the consent aspect is uncoerced, voluntary, free consent. Just like in, you know, the most, you know, beneficial economic model the world has ever seen, capitalism, which is the free voluntary exchange of goods, services, and compensation for, you know, two individuals enter into a voluntary agreement. I'll give you this, you give me that. Um, it's the same thing in, uh, in medical consent is that is a voluntary uncoerced decision. Okay. Mm-hmm. I choose, uh, having been fully informed in these three ways, I voluntarily choose to receive this intervention, whatever it is, right. uh, and give consent before it happens. Right. So this is, you know, part of right. every other aspect of healthcare and medicine, there's prior voluntary informed consent before the procedure happens. Mm-hmm. And the only exception to that in the world of medicine is vaccines. 
uh, which is, you know, appalling, you know, from an ethical perspective. Right. And we, you know, ever since the U.S. government decided that the tool of choice for communicable infection was going to be the vaccine, yes. they silenced really yes. anything about the benefits of experiencing disease. Yes. So the things that vaccines target target are for the most part, if not all, I, I'd have to go look at them all. Transient, is that the right word? Infections. You're exposed yeah. to it. You're sick yeah. for a short time. You recover and you've developed um, whatever acquired immunity means for that infection. It's different yes. for them all, but it's usually broad, durable and, you know, um, right. And protective, long lasting, and it tends to help with anything variants moving forward. But they right. act as if, I mean, what what I see us needing to move toward is a equally respected, I don't even think it should be equal because I don't think the shots in any way provide, it should be number mm -hmm. one is this natural infection immunity fully supported by by treatments and good health to get this long-lasting immunity oh and by the way if you want there are these shots you know but then you would be told the immunity isn't as long you're probably gonna have to get booster you know um there's there is a saturation point where you get get immune um what's that called i forget that term i used to be um uh, your your immune system gets tired of seeing this antigen over and over again, and pretty soon it just doesn't even want to respond to it. Um, oh, you know what I'm thinking? Okay, uh, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Right, uh, but we have we don't have we don't have a, a panel or a committee or a group at the federal level or the state level that gets together to says, hey. How do we keep people healthy and how do they um, naturally get through any of these infections yes. in a good way? We tried to engage the Washington State um, Board of Health on this issue and they thought it was a great idea, but they thought the federal people should do it. It wasn't in their wheelhouse, so they passed the buck. But of course, the feds aren't going to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when it comes to, say, monkeypox, like I just showed you that T-pox antiviral, um, you know, nobody is being told um, vitamin D, vitamin C, vitamin A, um, and acetylcysteine. These are things that are listed by the Truth for Health Foundation. So I encourage everybody sure. to go to truthforhealthfoundation.org. And they've got a thing on monkeypox. And you can print out their multi-page informational sheet on the disease um on the it, it describes the vaccine it describes t-pox drug and then it gives you natural wonderful things that you can do to become more resilient obviously avoid behaviors that put you in exposure for it but all these supplements to help you have a safe course so then you emerge with natural immunity do either of you gentlemen know if exposure to monkeypox and experiencing it naturally and, de and developing acquired immunity, do you suppose it has some protective benefit if small there anybody's ever exposed to smallpox? If if the vaccine targets both smallpox and monkey monkeypox, does it does it also mean that monkeypox antibodies give gotten naturally protect you from smallpox? Any idea? Well, th that's a question of, of molecular mimicry, 
uh, and cross-reactivity in, in, in a beneficial sense. Uh, and here's what we know. Um, what, what many of us learned in school back, on, back in the day was that a, a human antibody would only target or interact with a single antigen or a single pathogen. So you have single antibody, single antigen, or cell that has something like a barcode, we could say, on the surface. Uh, the modern understanding, Bernadette, of, in immunology is that human antibodies, not man-made antibodies, but human antibodies, immunoglobulins, are what we call polyvalent or multi-action, where a single antibody, which is a protein, um, can target or interact with a range of cell types. Now, there's a negative aspect of this where you have vaccine-induced antibodies cross-react with body tissues and cause autoimmune disease, especially in the presence of a vaccine adjuvant like aluminum hydroxide that puts the immune system in a state of chronic hyperstimulation by design, where mm -hmm. a teeny bit of something creates a big response. Um, but there's a positive aspect to that, that a human antibody through natural infection, which is the only real immunity is natural immunity, um, will recognize that that one little protein will recognize and target and interact with and bring the troops in, so to speak, for a range of similar enough um, mm -hmm. pathogens. So mm -hmm. that's one of the great blessings of natural infection is that it confers broad protection against a range of potential pathogens without um, likely cross-reacting with human body cells. Yeah. And, and so my, you know, so the short answer to that is, I don't know, but okay. the, the longer answer is maybe. Yeah. Which is actually, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. which, and, and there's a very strong immunological basis for the maybe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and again, oh, sorry. And just to, to jump yeah. in there, uh, under, under the smallpox uh, uh, vaccine, they have something called the ACAM 2000 um, uh, smallpox vaccine. Uh, and they actually recommended, and it was uh, recommended in a 2015 ACIP uh, for uh, laboratory personnel who directly handle cultures or animals infected with any of the orthopox viruses to take it because it's been shown to actually uh, provide some protection against uh, a, a broad range of the orthopox viruses. Yes. Or, uh, so including monkeypox. So that is something that they put in there. Yeah, that, that, that particular one is even more reactogenic than the Ginios and has right. a lot of health issues, which is why they're recommending the Ginios, which is very dangerous as well with the cardiac reactions. Yeah. Well, and, and Bernadette, historically, and this was the basis of the first vaccine. Uh, Edward mm -hmm. Jenner, mm -hmm. who bought his medical license, by the way, he had no training, no, not even apprenticeship. He had no formal education in medicine. Wow. He, he just hounded the local medical board in the 1700s and just paid them off. Finally, they, 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 they said, just, we want to get rid of you. He was such a pest. And mm -hmm. he had some cash. And he said, finally, you know, he gave him a few bucks and they gave him medical license. So he wasn't actually a trained physician. But anyway, um, that was the basis. He, he scraped live cowpox right. into this young boy who mm -hmm. then didn't get the related smallpox. And of course, Jenner being the endless 
huckster self-promoter in the vein of Pasteur, who came later, um, just toured around the country with this kid saying, look, I saved him from the ravages of smallpox by scraping into his skin live cowpox pus. And mm-hmm. so, he, it, again, we didn't have the term molecular mimicry and cross-reactivity, but that's how he was selling his mm-hmm. you know, early vaccine was based on that same principle. So that's a long answer to your question, <laughs> which is no, but- that the answer is very likely you yeah. would get broad protection against a related pathogen if you have natural exposure to this very, you know, as you pointed out, self-limiting, non-life-threatening, non-dangerous yeah. monkeypox. As opposed to if you get this experimental shot, an experimental yes. vaccine, which will be much more narrow in the immune reaction that it triggers and yeah. the immune memory won't be as broad. Right. Um we're really, I can't believe how time is flying here. I want to show um, viewers and listeners here. I've created, and I'm going to continue to update it at informedchoicelaw.org. We now have a monkeypox tab on our menu. Great. Facts, not fear, monkeypox resources. And I'm trying to provide people with the latest information and links you can, um, you can click on to go read more yourself. I've got some of the highlights here. Very concerning with the Genios vaccine about the um, cardiac adverse events of special interest with the high troponin level levels and myocarditis. Um, and then also individuals with HIV, huge um, severe reactions and worsening and Bernie, of the way, HIV symptoms. Uh, yes? Just interject, uh, troponin is the conventional medical ICU emergency room diagnosis of a heart attack or myocardial infarction. They no longer in, in a, in an emergency room, for example, if a you know, person walks in, this happened to me, actually, I, I don't want to tell the whole story, but I ended up in the ER with chest pain and my cardiologist said, you know, you get there right away. And, uh, and you know, the, the way they tell, is not EKG anymore, for example, but what we call serial troponin testing, where they'll check your troponin levels uh, several times, at least three times typically, to see if it keeps going up. And if it does, you're having a heart attack or very likely having yeah. a heart attack. So rises in troponin um, can be serious. Now, it's not yeah. always a heart attack. It's not always serious. And you can listen to you know the greatest cardiologist of all time, Peter McCullough, talk about this in much more technical detail. Yeah. Uh, but anything that raises troponin is not good because the, it, it only is elevated if, there's, if there is myocardial damage. This is a byproduct of heart muscle damage. So wow. there's no such thing as a safe elevation of troponin. Yeah. So this is very concerning on the heels and, and likely most of the individuals have already had the COVID shots and then they're oh, going to yeah. get a genios on top of it. And they've yes. already perhaps had some big problem. Um, it is, it is very concerned. They are not being told. It's not in the literature no. that's being handed to them. It's not in, and I've got, so I've got some links. This is what the CDC says about the virus and disease. Here's uh, truth for health foundation. Yep. Uh, facts versus fear. They're fabulous. There's the PCR test that's been developed to test it. And then I give individuals the link to the FDA um, page for Genios. And if you want to 
dive in all sorts of links to all the materials used to license and i and there's hundreds of pages in one of the links that it downloads a whole file that um, i need to dive into here um what's really concerning is the cdc says on their vaccine information sheet in bold so there's no effectiveness trials and no safety trials mind you in what pregnant women breastfeeding people with a weakened immune systems, except for HIV, which we saw um, they had adverse reactions with those with HIV, right? But it says in bold, if you have been recommended to receive Ginios due to an exposure to monkeypox virus, you should be vaccinated regardless of concurrent illnesses, pregnancy, breastfeeding, or weakened immune system. Why on this earth would the CDC put that in bold? And it's not supported by any science you know, and, and, and people are going to blindly, trustingly read that. Oh, look, it must be safe and effective. Surely they tested it. They're telling me I need to get it. Oh, oh no, I can't believe time's up. Okay, so um, go we'll do to- do it again, Bernadette. Yeah, we will. MicahGata.com, G-A-E-T-A, and learn all about him. Take his courses, informtwistwa.org to look up all you need to know about COVID and um, monkeypox. Javier, thank you so much for your time. Um, and uh, just a word, we're doing a, an herbal symposium this weekend on herbal treatments and prevention for COVID and yeah. a range of other viral issues. So we'll Go to michaelgata.com and, and sign up for that. You, today and tomorrow. Okay. Um, you've been listening to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. Thank you all. We'll be back next week. If you're looking for a publication that honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than The Flame Paper. The Flame Paper is written for the people, by the people, who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it health care, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. 
My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com.